Amen. You may be seated tonight. Let's take our Bibles out and turn back for the first time in a while that we've been in our lesson of Lamentations or from Lamentations. We're going to be there back again tonight. We had Missions Conference and then we had Dr. Sisk in and been several weeks since we've been in here. But I've been looking forward to getting back into Lamentations as we look at some lessons that other people had to learn that maybe we could learn from them tonight and not have to go through it ourselves. Lamentations chapter number one. And I do want to invite you next Wednesday night. We'll continue in this series, but we're going to do something special as well. Uh, next Wednesday will be the last Wednesday where the Dombeck is going to be with us before he goes back and hits the road uh, in evangelism. Most of the year he's up north uh, when the weather is hospitable for him to be up there, Pennsylvania, Connecticut in those areas uh, with his Beams ministry. And uh, I know we have a lot of new people coming and going in our church, and uh, sometimes our people don't get to know our regular home missionaries, and so we're going to try to highlight them throughout the coming weeks and months. And as he heads out, we're going to pray with him next Wednesday night before he leaves and hits the road and let some of our folks who may not get uh, know him to get to know him. I asked him yesterday to bring some of his prayer cards. We're going to pass those out uh, so our folks can be praying for him as he's away from us serving the Lord in that ministry that he's called him in. Lamentation. Chapter 1 remains seated tonight as we jump back. I think we've made it through about verse number 3. And we're going to pick up in verse number four and try to expedite the process a little bit. Uh, but we've got all the time in the world till the Lord comes back, so we'll just take the time that we need to cover this. Verse number four, the Bible says, The ways of Zion do mourn, because none come to the solemn feast. All her gates are desolate, her priests sigh, her virgins are afflicted, and she is in bitterness. Her adversaries are the chief, her enemies prosper, for the Lord hath afflicted her from the multitude of her transgressions. Her children are gone into captivity before the enemy, and from the daughter of Zion all her beauty is departed. Her princes are become like hearts that find no pasture, and they are gone without strength before the pursuer. Let's pray together. Father God, I do thank you again tonight for the privilege, Lord, to be able to go to your word and get something extremely relevant tonight. Lord, I know your word is quick, it's alive, it's living, it's powerful, and it's what we need right now. And Lord, in your loving kindness and your mercy, you preserve for us, Lord, real life events of what happened to some of your people, Father, that rejected and forsook you. Lord, I pray tonight, Lord, with all of my heart, that we would learn these lessons and lamentations. That, Father, we would not have to relive them and experience them and suffer the loss that we see them suffering. Help us, Lord, open our hearts to receive your word tonight. Bless our folks that are at home. Help us, Lord, gather together and unite together, Lord, in spirit, even so tonight, and receive this lesson, Lord, as a church. And, Lord, help us to learn from it, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Quick rundown tonight reminding you of what we have covered thus far. We began in verse number, uh, verse number one of chapter number one. The Bible describes Jerusalem after it has been ransacked and destroyed, and we see the Bible says it sits solitary. We looked at the lesson of loneliness, where a God-forsaken existence only occurs when God's people forsake him. Oftentimes we wonder, where is God gone? Why has God left us? And the truth of the matter is, it's not God that has left us, it's us that has left God. And oftentimes we see a God-forsaken people, a God-forsaken country, even a family or churches at times, and it's not because God has left them, it's because they have left God. We keep on reading, we find out that she has been humbled, and we look at the lesson of lowliness, how God has, refu God has brought them low because they have refused to be brought low themselves. We looked at the simple principle in Scripture, the Bible says to humble ourselves. Twice in the New Testament, the Bible tells us to humble ourselves. That's an act of submission on our part. And when we refuse to submit, then God brings us low and God humbles us. We looked at the lesson of lamenting where they're finally crying out to God. 
They refused to cry out to God, so God finally allowed them to get to the place where they would cry out to him. And the last lesson we looked at was the lesson of lordship, where God allowed them to see just how good he was to them by letting them experience another lord over them. How often is that the case where we don't want God lording over our life? We don't want God telling us what to do. And so God allows us to go live under another Lord. And we find out God was good all along. But when you look at the book of Lamentations and you read through the book of Lamentations, you'll see that Lamentations is a book that truthfully and in reality revolves around loss. You're reading all that Jerusalem where God's people have lost because they forsook God. Now, let me say this tonight. It's the understatement of the year. Forsaking God will always lead to loss. All right, can we understand that tonight? Forsaking God, walking away from God, no matter how, how beautiful and enjoying the temporary season may be that you're in, when you do leave him, I assure you it will always result in a net loss. We look at the prodigal son. What did he leave with? He left the presence of his father with wealth. He left the presence of his father with substance, and yet the Bible says that when he returned, he returned broke. What happened? He suffered loss. Now, folks, the lesson of Lamentations, it's a lesson of loss, and that's what we're going to look at tonight. You're always going to find that when you forsake God and you leave God, no matter how long you're gone, whether it be short-term or long-term, you're always going to suffer loss. What does the Bible tell us in Psalms 9, verse 7? The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. What does that mean? It means you're going to lose, all right? It's like you playing chicken out on the highway with an 18-wheeler. You're going to lose, all right? You're going to lose. Now, when we forsake God and walk away from God, the Bible says we forget God that all nations, the wicked, shall be turned into hell. What does it mean? We're going to lose. I hate to tell you this. America is the greatest country on planet Earth. God has blessed us to be an exalted country. We have a mighty military. We have a wonderful economy, at least for the time being. Gas prices are creeping up, aren't they? Seems like it all started around November, but that's just my observation. But even the mighty United States of America will come crashing down. We're going to lose when we forsake God. The Bible says all nations that forget God will be turned into hell. Isaiah 128. The Bible says, and those who forsake the Lord will come to an end. What does that mean? It means we're going to lose. Lamentations is a book that shows us the firsthand eyewitness accounts of what happens when you forsake God and you're going to lose. Now, here's what God wants. God wants us as his people currently to read about some of his people in past tense who forsook him. And God says, you're going to learn what happens when you forsake me, and I hope you won't take the chance. When you read about what happened to them and what they lost, you're not going to take the chance of forsaking him because we just can't afford it. It reminds me of the story that I heard years ago about a man who was going to take his wife to the Holy Land, and she says, honey, my, my mom has always wanted to go. Would you take my mom along with you? And you knew he was a good man to take his mother-in-law along with him. And so he says, yeah, I'll take, our, take your mother-in-law or your mother with us. And so they go over there, and they're just enjoying themselves, having a good old time. The story goes that she's having such a good time, she's overwhelmed with the sights of Jerusalem and of Israel, and she has a heart attack right there, and she dies. The husband knew the wife was grieving, so he says, I'll go take care of all of the arrangements with the undertaker. So he goes and speaks to the undertaker, and the undertaker says, to get your wife home to the United States, it's going to cost you around $1,500. We can bury her right here for 150. The guy starts thinking to himself, 150 versus 1500, and he got to thinking. He finally told the undertaker, he says, "Look, let's just fly her home." The undertaker says, "I just don't understand. Why would you pay 1500 when you can bury her here for 150?" He says, "Look, I've read eyewitness accounts. About 2,000 years ago, you folks buried a man here, and three days later, he rose from the grave." 
He says, look, I can't afford to take that chance. So we're shipping her home. Now, folks, can I tell you what Lamentations is? It's an eyewitness account of what happens when you forsake God. And God wants you to read the eyewitness account of what happens when you forsake God. And he says, I want you to read it and consider it and learn from it as the wall brother Nate preached on the other night. Take knowledge and understanding from it so that you won't take the chance because you can't afford to take the chance of forsaking God and learning the hard way all of the losses that come along with it. Now tonight we're going to look at three specific areas of loss that resulted from their rebellion. Now look, this list could be as long as Santa Claus' list tonight. Of all the areas, you can suffer loss when you forsake God. But we're going to look at three tonight in this lesson of loss on these lessons from Lamentations. I'm going to show you what you lose when you leave the Lord. Look at verse 4. The Bible says, The ways of Zion do mourn because none come to the solemn feast. Now, the ways here are literally ways. They're highways and byways, okay? The pathways, the roads that led to Jerusalem and Zion, they were always bustling with people who were coming to Jerusalem to worship. Jerusalem was the center of worship. The temple was there, and they were coming there to worship and to sacrifice before God. And always the ways of Zion were busy. People were coming and people were going. But notice what the Bible says. The Bible says the ways of Zion do mourn because none come to the solemn feast. The people weren't coming and going anymore. Keep reading. The Bible says all her gates are desolate. Her, high pre- her priest sigh, her virgins are afflicted, and she is in bitterness. Now notice this bustling city, this epicenter of their worship, It sits solitary and it sits empty. The Bible even uses the word desolate and there's none to come to the solemn feast. The activities of worship have ceased. Now let me tell you the tragedy. The tragedy is 2 Chronicles 6.6. The Bible says, but I have chosen Jerusalem that my name might be there. Now watch this. The whole purpose of that city was the worship of God. That's why he set the city up. That's why the temple was there. The whole purpose for that city being there was the worship of Almighty God. But watch this. When they forsook God, they also in turn forsook their purpose. That's the first thing I want you to see tonight. We don't realize it oftentimes, but when we forsake God, we're also forsaking our purpose, our very existence on why we're here. So number one tonight, I want you to first see the loss of their purpose. Now who are we talking to here? Who are we talking about? We're talking about God's people. We're talking about the people of God that are living in a place where he chose to set his name there. The very purpose for that city being there was the worship of God. And yet when they forsook God, they forsook the very purpose for which they were there. Now fast forward today. Who are we speaking to tonight? We're speaking mostly, I'm sure, or hopefully sure, to God's people. What does the Bible say about us in Ephesians 2.10? For we are his workmanship... Created in Christ Jesus unto what? To good works. Keep reading in verse number 10. The Bible says, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, wait a minute. What is our very existence all about? The worship and serving of God. To walk in the ways that he has ordained for us. That is our very purpose for living. To honor, to glorify, and to please almighty God. We are not our own anymore, are we? We are bought with a price. By the way, do you realize that when God bought you, he bought your purpose too? 
all right? We're not here to be about our purpose, about our desires. I've just got to find what I'm supposed to do with my life. Watch this. I'm going to let you off the hook. You don't have to find what you're supposed to do in life. God's already decided what you're supposed to do with your life. When he bought it, he bought your purpose. And our purpose is to glorify God. We're created unto good works. That's why we are here. What does the Bible say in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11? Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. My very existence is to honor and glorify God and to walk in the works that he has ordained for me. And when I turn and forsake God and walk away from God, I am also in turn walking away from the very purpose that I exist. I am here to walk in his ways and to honor and glorify him with the life that he purchased. Now, how does that result to us? Understand this, just as Jerusalem, we have no purpose outside of God. Now, let that sink in. The very purpose of the city that's been destroyed was to worship God. But they forsook God, therefore they forsook their purpose. And when you and I forsake God and walk away from God, we are forsaking the very purpose of our existence. Now watch closely. The result left them what in verse 4? Notice these words. None come to the solemn feast. There's nobody on the highways and byways. The Bible says the ways of Zion do mourn. They are empty, listen close, and unfulfilled. They're empty. The byways, the highways of Zion are empty, and they're unfulfilled just like you and I. When we forsake God, we forsake our purpose, it leaves us empty and unfulfilled. I want to tell you something, 2021 and the year of unspoken words last year, I have run into so many Christians who are empty and unfulfilled. Do you know why? It's not because there's not money to be made. There's plenty of it out there if you're willing to work. I mean, look, if you get out there and work, you've got something not a whole lot of folks have anymore. I mean, you'll make good money even at McDonald's if you're just willing to work. It's not because there's not money out there. It's not because there's not opportunity. Everywhere I go in Hattiesburg, it says, now hiring, all right? This guy that stands out here on the corner of Elks Lake, somebody needs to tell him Hattiesburg's hiring all over the city. There's jobs to be had there. Now watch this. People are empty and unfulfilled. Why? It's not because there's not money. It's not because there's not opportunity. It's not, not because we don't live in a great country that provides you that opportunity. Why are they empty and unfulfilled? It's very simple. They have forsaken God. Therefore, they have forsaken their purpose. And when you're not fulfilling your purpose, you're empty and you're unfulfilled. Can I tell you something tonight as a child of God? And remember, these are God's people just as you and I are, all right? Israel's not the church, but they were God's people just like we're God's people. And they're empty and they're unfulfilled because they forsook God. Look, you can't forsake God and still have purpose in life because God is our purpose in life. And when you walk away from him, you just walked away from your purpose. And that's why we're empty and unfulfilled. I'll promise you there's nothing in this life that will fill the, that void of fulfillment that only fulfilling your purpose will do. That's a tongue twister, isn't it? All right? There's nothing this life can offer you that you can throw inside the hole of your heart that's going to bring fulfillment like the purpose for which your father left you here to do. 
I, look, can I tell you, my heart has been so blessed lately, getting phone calls and text messages from our members who are leading people to Christ. I mean, multiple folks. We had our soul winning clinic, and we got a little bit of training on that, and people are soul winning. They're going about the business of telling others about Christ. And man, you lead your first soul to Christ. I mean, it feels a void. Man, let me tell you something. When I was on the trip, I told the kids in chapel this morning, I ate and I ate and I ate till I was stuffed, I was sick, and I was convicted. But you know, after a while, a few hours later, I was craving something else. Give me another one of those squawking goat biscuits that they had there. Give me another one of those big boy hamburgers, which I didn't know everybody in here seems to know about big boy except for me. I craved something else. Why? Because it didn't last and you can throw money, you can throw, listen, job, you can throw things, you can jo- throw pleasure inside of that hole in your heart trying to fill what only fulfilling your purpose will do. It's like a puzzle piece, all right? There's a puzzle piece hole in your heart, all right, that needs fulfillment. And the only puzzle piece that's going to fit that is the performance of your purpose for which God left you here. I'll tell you, look, there's nothing like it. Making money won't do it. Buying toys won't do it. Having bigger and better won't do it. The only thing that's going to do that is fulfilling your purpose. You know, last year in America, I read the statistics today. Americans have racked up a total of $807 billion in credit card debt. Young people, don't do it. Don't do it. Believe it or not, that little piece of plastic in your pocket will keep you from serving God. Seen it happen more times than not. $807 billion. What we can't see is what percentage of those credit card purchases were made trying to find alternatives of fulfillment. Think about it. How many times did we swipe that card to give us just a little bit of that chemical release in our brain that makes us feel good when we get something new to fulfill that void in our heart that only the performance of our godly purpose can do? How many times did we swipe that card? I got to go buy something to make me feel better. Don't ever get into that habit. You know, you know, what is it? Spontaneous, you know, spending, spontaneous eating. You're going to get fat and in debt, all right? You ought to find fulfillment in serving God. There's no fulfillment like that. Now watch, the streets are empty. What does it say? Verse four, none come to the solemn feast. All her gates are desolate. What happened? This city whose purpose was to honor and worship and glorify God, has turned its back on its purpose, now it's empty and unfulfilled. Now, folks, you could save yourself a lot of money if you just got about the purpose for which God left you here to do. You wouldn't have to have bigger and better all the time if you just got about why God left you here. But notice, when they forsook God, they lost their purpose. I thought about this the other night when uh, Dr. Sis was preaching out of John 13. Jesus comes and washes his disciples' feet. Not something you crave to do, is it? I'm so thankful that's not an ordinance. I've seen some of you without your shoes on. I'm so thankful that's not an ordinance, that we don't, have to, we don't wash feet. You don't want to wash my feet either. I promise you that. There's, there's a reason I don't go barefooted around here. But Jesus just did say this in John 13. When he's speaking on servanthood, Dr. Sis preached on it. He says, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. If you know these things, this servanthood. Now, our, look, our society doesn't preach fulfillment by servanthood, does it? 
No, no, you get fulfillment by throwing elbows, you know, knocking people down, climb the ladder. That's how you get fulfillment. And God says, no, 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 no. The truth about fulfillment is getting lower on the ladder, not higher on the ladder. Boy, our world's got it backwards, don't they? He says, if you know these things, happier ye if you do them. Now, think about the word happy, happiness, contentment, fulfillment. They're often interchangeable. That happiness comes from what? Obedience. Look, if you know these things, happier ye if you do them. What is the doing them of? It's obedience. Just be obedient to what God said, and all of a sudden you'll find that hole in your heart, that fulfillment, that desire, that need. You'll find it being filled with your purpose. But watch, when you forsake God, God is the only reason you have any purpose. And when you forsake God, you're forsaking your purpose. And we're walking around out here, we've forsaken God, and we're thinking, why don't, why don't I have any fulfillment in my life? And the preacher comes along and he says, hey, it's because you've forsaken God. And we go, no, it's not that. Yes, it is that. I heard a story the other day of a man who was watching the 5 o'clock news, and it said that there was a blue minivan going down the interstate in the wrong lane. It was headed north on a southbound lane. Man began to think to himself, he says, wait a minute, my wife is in town and my wife has a blue minivan. So he calls her on the cell phone, honey, they said there was a, a car in the northbound lane going south and I just want to make sure you're all right. And she says, honey, you're not going to believe this. It's not one car, it's all of them. They're all going the wrong way. It wasn't her. No, it wasn't me. It's everybody else. That's the way we are with God. Look. Preachers don't know everything, but God does try to give you a little bit of discernment. He try to help people out and realize you don't have fulfillment in your life. You're empty and unfulfilled because you've forsaken God. And you forsake God, you've forsaken your purpose. And you're over here, man, why don't I have fulfillment in my life? Why, why, am I, why do I feel so empty? And the preacher says, you know what? Maybe it's because you forsook God. Nope, that's not it. It's every other car in the lane going the wrong way. It's not you. And you know what's going to happen? You're suffering the loss of your purpose. This is what's happening. Fulfillment comes from obedience. Happier are you if you do them. Happier are you if you do them. There's no fulfillment like doing the will of God for which he left you here to do. Paul put it this way, Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. Boy, we could preach for days on that one phrase right there. Paul says, I have learned. Paul came a long way, didn't he? In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. For I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. That means to be low, to be high. Everywhere in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Stop. How can you be content and still be hungry? How can you have contentment when your stomach's growling? You know, probably in the next hour, hour and a half before we get done, your stomach's going to be growling. You say, well, how can you have contentment in your life when you're hungry? It's because your contentment does not revolve around your stomach. Your fulfillment doesn't revolve around that. Your fulfillment revolves around doing the will of God. And as long as Paul was doing the will of God, he had contentment and fulfillment. Even when he was hungry, you can have contentment and fulfillment even when you're broke. Amen. Some of you are like, yes. You get, you get to have fulfillment even when you're broke, when you're hungry. What did Paul say? When I am abased, when I am low, Paul says, even when I suffer need, he's learned to be content. Now that, look, if you're living in the flesh, that's going to blow your mind. How can you have fulfillment? How can, listen, how can you have purpose in your life when you're still hungry? Well, when your purpose revolves around God. Number one, number one tonight, this lesson of loss. Know what, notice what happened. When they forsook God, 
They forsook their purpose. They lost their purpose. Only our purpose can satisfy that void of fulfillment. Let me, let me assure you of that. Only, listen, only serving God and fulfilling our purpose will satisfy that void that we have in our heart that needs to be fulfilled. And if you don't tonight, if you forsake God, you're going to suffer the loss of your purpose. Let's keep reading. Verse 5. Her adversaries are the chief. Her enemies prosper. For the Lord hath afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Now watch the next thing they're about to lose. Her children are gone into captivity before the enemy. So watch what's happening here. Jerusalem sits empty and unfulfilled. Why? They forsook God. I will make you a solemn promise. You forsake God. You will be empty and unfulfilled. Because you have no purpose outside of God. Just as Jerusalem had no purpose outside of God. They were there to be the city of God where he put his name there. But notice something else is missing. Verse 5 says her children are gone. I want you to listen close to this tonight. What are our children? Well, our children are the sons and daughters of a family, right? All right, we're, we're all in agreement on that, right? We haven't redefined that term yet, have we? You know, sometimes we call them devils and demons, but they're our sons and our daughters, all right? We can redefine that 2022. But not only are they the sons and daughters of our family, listen closely, the children were the future of the nation. Think about it. The Bible says in verse number six, her children... Or verse number five, her children are gone into captivity. The second loss that occurs when we forsake God is this, number two. Notice the loss of the future. The loss of the future. Now hear me out. Not only do you have no purpose outside of God, you also have no future outside of God. Let that sink in. When they forsook God, they forsook the very purpose for which they were there. That's why they're empty and unfulfilled. That's why people are empty and unfulfilled, because when they forsake God, you forsake your purpose. But not only did they do that, they lost their purpose. The Bible says in verse 5, they lost their children, and their children were their future. Can I tell you tonight, the second understatement of the year, you have no future outside of God. America has no future outside of God. What do we read in Psalms? The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. What does that mean? We have no future outside of God. doesn't matter how big our military is, how great our economy is, and how smart our people are. We have no future outside of God. Now watch what they did. When they forsook God, they turned their back on their future. Now here's something interesting. They did what so many times we all do. They chose short-term pleasure at a long-term penalty. Short-term pleasure, long-term penalty. You know, by the way, that's one of the greatest sales tactics that are out there. I went through several uh, ads today, reading several ads, genuine, legitimate ads, uh, sales pitches that are given to us in order to buy things. Here was one for a car. They used this slogan, Sign and drive. Sign and drive. What? You mean I can walk right up there right now, sign my name on this piece of paper, and drive home with a car today? Absolutely. Just go put your John Hancock right on that paper. They'll let you drive it home. But what they don't tell you is, this is no joke, it's an 84-month note at 12% interest. Look, I've had cars that didn't last 84 months. (laughs) 
you know? I've had cars I didn't buy until they were 84 months old, you know? That's usually how I ended up buying cars. Sign and drive. What are they trying to get you to do? Short-term pleasure. Sign right now. You can drive home with it right now. It can sit in your carport right now. Your neighbors will covet when they drive by right now. Your kids will be cool when they show up to school in that car right now. But 84 months is a long time at 12% interest. What's the problem? The problem is short-term pleasure, long-term penalty. I read another one today. It was, it was one of our local uh, electronic stores about TVs. Buy it today. Watch it tonight. What a great idea. You don't have to miss out on another episode of Wheel of Fortune. You can get it done tonight. You drive right over to Best Buy tonight. You buy it now. Watch it tonight. But you know what the average percentage rate is for most people there? 25.24% interest rate. I want to tell you something. Wheel of Fortune ain't worth it. Food Network ain't worth it. Even the Hunting Channel, as hard as it is for me to say, Brother John, Hunting Channel's not even worth it. Why? Short-term pleasure, long-term penalty. Now, this is what Jerusalem did. Jerusalem says, we're going to go get what we want right now and do what we want right now. What is the term we love to use? Sow our wild oats now. The only problem with sowing things is we reap. That's a biblical principle. We reap what we sow, all right? I'm just going to sow my wild oats. And we've taught our kids to say that. God help us. We've taught our kids, I'm just sowing my wild oats, sowing my wild oats. Did we explain how that works? You sow one corn, you get a whole stalk. And you get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of corns back in. You sow a little bit of iniquity. You're getting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of iniquities back in. Short-term pleasure, long-term penalty. Look, if we love our kids, we're going to tell them the truth. That's the truth. Yeah, go out there, forsake God, and you'll enjoy sin for a season. The sowing time is a season. But, oh, the crop's going to come in. And that long-term penalty, you're going to get tired of eating corn. A lot of people tonight are tired of eating corn. Why? Because they chose short-term pleasure, long-term penalty. They weren't thinking about the future. The Bible says that Jerusalem traded their future for their present. What did it say? They lost their children. Her children are gone. See, a lot of churches right now, they're selling out the principles of the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God. They're selling that out now to get a big crowd right now. They don't realize it is they're selling out the future of their church. They're about as shallow as a bird bath. You'll not be able to find truth in that place in about 10 or 20 years. Why? Because we chose short-term pleasure over long-term penalty. I read this one. I couldn't believe it. Mobile home. This is a real, I looked these up. It's on the internet, so I know it's true. Mobile home ad. Call us today and move in tomorrow. You know, my wife and I are praying about a piece of property, praying about a house, just looking, just waiting for God to open the right door. And you see those ads, man. You know it's going to look. You know it's going to take you six, seven months to build a house. You see those ads, man. Buy today, move in tomorrow. You're thinking, well, that sure would be nice. No painting, no sheetrock, mud, no dust, all that. You know what? It just would be easier. What they'll tell you is the first ten years of that note, you're simply paying the interest. How much did I pay toward the principal? They say, what's principal? You haven't even made it to the principal yet. Short-term pleasure, but I, I bought it today and I got to move in tomorrow, yes. But you're going to be paying for that for the next 35 years if it lasts that long in Tornado Alley that we're living in. What happened? Israel 
made a short-term decision based on pleasure rather than a long-term decision based on the penalty. Let's real quickly tonight think about a few examples in Scripture. The prodigal son, talk about him a lot. I mentioned him a while ago, Luke 15. The Bible says in verse 2, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. He divided unto them his living. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. Now let's break this verse apart for a few minutes. The Bible says he went to his dad. He says, Dad, would you give me the portion of goods that falleth to me? Uh, Miley, don't ever do that, all right, because it's not going to happen. I'll give you a quarter or something like that. Some of my baseball cards when I was a kid. But in that culture, that father would divvy to the children their inheritance they had coming based on their birth order. And here's the younger of the two sons saying, Dad, give me what's coming to me. He uses the word falleth to me. Give me my portion. The dad would give him a portion of his inheritance. You took that inheritance and you establish your life and your livelihood and your future. The Bible says he took what his dad gave him, went into the far country, you know the story, and the Bible says there wasted his substance with riotous living. Do you know what he wasted? He wasted his future. He was supposed to take that portion that had fallen to him, take that, establish his own life, and build his own home out of that. But no, he took it. And he decided, I want momentary pleasure, and I'm not going to worry about the long-term penalty. And the Bible says he wasted it all. He wasted it all. What did he do? He lost his future when he walked away from the Father. Proverbs 29.3, I thought about this this afternoon. Whoso loveth wisdom rejoiceth his father. Listen close. But he that keepeth company with harlots spendeth his substance. We got some of our kids here tonight, so we'll just be very vague. I think we could attach the word temporary to harlots, could we not? Temporary. Harlots are temporary. The Bible says that he that keepeth company with harlots spendeth his substance. You're wasting your future on a temporary pleasure, and there's going to be long-term penalty because you didn't realize when you walked away from God and you forsook God, you forsook your future. And every moment you're away from God, a little bit more of your future slowly goes down the drain. And you're going to get to verse number 5 where the Bible says the children are gone in the captivity. They were all gone. Israel didn't realize that forsaking God, they were forsaking their own future. Now, folks, can I ask you something tonight? You ever heard the term pay to play? We hear it a lot in politics. We hear it sometimes in NCAA sports. Pay to play. You put a little money on the table. You kind of get what you want out of it. Pay to play. Can I tell you, that works with God as well. You say, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to spend some time on the playground of the world in the far country, and I'm going to, I'm going to play a little bit. Well, you can. The Bible says that Moses had the opportunity to go enjoy pleasures of sin for a season, but he chose not to. Why? Because Moses understood that you had to pay to play. You go play, you're going to have to pay. Now, folks, oftentimes, this is what we do. We want to go play for a little while, be like the world, act like the world, and we're going to come back. We have every intention on coming back to our father's house. But all the time we're playing, we don't realize the bill we're racking up. Now, here's the sad thing. Oftentimes, as parents, we will make the decision that we'll pay. I know I'm going to pay a price for it, but I want to play. But can I ask you a question? Are you okay with your children paying for it? Jerusalem, the people of Jerusalem said, you know what? We're going to forsake God. We're going to go do what we want, worship other gods, have other priorities in our life. 
And they knew consequences. God was very clear what the consequences were going to be. But I wonder if they ever thought that their children were going to pay for their decision to play. Think about that tonight. The Bible says, I want you to read verse 5 at the end of it. Her children are gone. I know kids tonight. Now, folks, look, we all get to make our own decisions. We have personal responsibility. We have personal accountability. But I know a lot of kids tonight that I believe with all of my heart are paying because mom and dad chose to play, to forsake God. You know what? Brother Jeremiah, I just don't like you. It's okay. I promise you. There's a, there's, a, there's a fan club out there of people that don't like me. You say, you know what? I just don't like who you are. I don't like how you preach and all that. You hurt my feelings, and so I'm offended. I'm, I'm never, never, never coming back to church again. You get out of church. Now, folks, look. I, I hate if I offend people. I really do. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't like offending. I like being everybody's friend when I can be everybody's friend, but sometimes that's just impossible. But can I ask you something? Is getting mad at the church or getting mad at a member or getting mad at the preacher and getting offended and leaving church, are you willing for your kids to pay for that? Mike, you know what? I got offended. You, got, I got, you, you hurt my feelings. Now, folks, look, I, I'm willing to apologize. I apologize often forget to check on somebody you'll miss a visit and I try to hey I'm so sorry about that I'll try to get to see you tomorrow I assure you it's not worth the payment that's going to come due by forsaking God forsaking his house forsaking his word Jerusalem's children were paying the price why because mom and dad decided to play and they did it at the loss of their future let me read you a verse real quickly and I'll give you the last thing the last point's a short one Isaiah 39, he's also prophesying destruction. Verse number six, then said Isaiah to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house, that which is in thy father's, have laid up in store unto this day, shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue forth from thee, which thou shalt beget, they shall take away. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now watch what he said. He said, because of the sin of this people, your sons are going to serve in the palace at Babylon. Can I tell you tonight, I know a lot of young people that are serving in the palace of Babylon because of the sins of mom and dad. They're not serving this God They're serving another God. You know why? They're serving another God, and they're serving the heathen God. Why? Simply because mom and dad decided they were going to forsake God. Now, I want to assure you this. There's no good enough reason that I could forsake God tonight knowing that my daughter's going to pay for it. There's no good enough reason out there. I got offended. I got mad. A church member said something to me. There's not a good enough reason that I would forsake God and forsake my future knowing she's going to have to go serve in the temples of Babylon. Now, folks, listen, we're losing our future. Why? Because of petty things that cause us to forsake God. Petty things. Real quickly, Ronald Reagan said this at his inaugural, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on to them to do the same, or one day we'll spend the sunset years of our life telling our children and our children's children what it was like to live in the United States of America where men were free. He said freedom's only one generation thick. You can't pass it down. It's got to be fought for. 
It's got to be stood for. And I assure you tonight, listen, our God-given future, our, it's going to have to be fought for for our children to have it. You're not going to be able to pass it along to them if we forsake God. No, we've got to stand and fight for it as well. We've got to be willing to do the will of God in spite of what may come along to give us an excuse to walk out on God, to walk out on church, and to walk out on his word. Or else we're going to suffer the same loss they did, the loss of our future. Number three, it will be done tonight. Look down. Verse six. The Bible says Jerusalem remembered in the days of her affliction and her miseries. I'm sorry, that's verse seven. And the daughter of Zion, all her beauty is departed. Stop. Let's read that again. And from the daughter of Zion, all her beauty is departed. Now, we're seeing the last thing here I want you to see tonight. Let this sink in just a little bit. What God is simply showing us here is because she forsook God, she forsook her beauty, what made her beautiful. Now, stick with me. Outside of God, we have no purpose, right? Outside of God, we have no future. And outside of God, we have no beauty, we forsake God. We forsake only the only things that made us beautiful. There's nothing beautiful or good about us other than what came from God. When I met God, I was dead in my trespasses and sins, and I was wrapped up in a righteousness of filthy rags. There was nothing beautiful about me whatsoever. But when I met him, you know what he gave me? The Bible says in Isaiah 61, verse number 3, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion to give unto them beauty for ashes. All I had to offer was ashes and ugliness. Some of you are saying, God still needs to work on you a little bit because you still got some of that ugliness. Well, this body, absolutely. Wait till I get to heaven. Oh, I'm going to have hair just as good as Brother Miller's. You just wait. I'm going to have good hair when we get to heaven. He's going to be bald-headed when we get to heaven, you know. First and last, that whole principle in Scripture, you tell him I said that or I'll tell him I said that. All I had was ugliness to offer God was dead in my trespasses and sins, wrapped in robes of righteousness that were filthy rags, and he gave me beauty for the ashes that I offered him. He made me beautiful. I don't have any beauty of my own, no good of my own. Anything good of me comes from God. And when I walk away from God, I walk away from anything that was beautiful in my life. Now stick with me. Number three tonight, notice the loss of her beauty. Simply put is this, Jerusalem was not what she was. Jerusalem's not what she was. Can I tell you that Satan's MO tonight? Satan is the ultimate pervert. Hear me out. Perversion is when you take something pure and innocent and right and you mar it. You ruin it. That's, that's the devil's specialty. What did John 10 say? The thief has come up for to steal, to kill, and destroy. He takes away beauty. All right? He steals, he kills, and destroys. That's why you shouldn't want to go on a walk with him. Because you're going to come back suffering loss. Why? That's his MO. He tells you in Scripture. He's going to steal, he's going to kill, and he's going to destroy anything beautiful in your life. But what did Jesus say? I'm coming that you might have life. You know what life is? Life is beautiful. You know, when my daughter was born, I'm sitting there looking at this kid. I couldn't believe that I had a part in that. I'm sitting there looking at the man, she's got little fingers. Oh, she's sitting there crying, you know, and, and the, I mean, she was just born. I walk over there, and I'm looking at her, and I'm thinking, man, i got to take care of that. And I reach down, I put my finger down, and she just grabs hold of my finger, and boy, little fingernails, just a beautiful, beautiful life. Why? Because God's the creator of life, and everything God creates is beautiful. 
He said, I'm coming that you might have life and have it more abundantly. God wants you to have a beautiful life, all right? I know the Christmas movie, all that, it's a wonderful life. Oh, that's the life of the Christian. It's a beautiful life because anything God has a part in, look in Genesis 1, the Bible says it is good and it's beautiful. But wait a minute. Jerusalem forsook God. Verse 6, the Bible says, and from the daughter of Zion, all her beauty is departed. God gives us beauty for ashes, but Satan gives us ashes for our beauty. I mean, I, I, I watch young people. I've been, I was a youth pastor for a long time. I watch young people come through our camp and young people come through our church, and you watch them, and then they just have a beautiful countenance about them. They may be ugly, but they have a beautiful countenance. You know how that works? All right, come on, agree with me, you know. They may not be the prettiest kid in the world, like some of ours, but, you know, they have a beautiful countenance about them. And they just go and forsake God, and they sow the wild oats because they heard mom and dad say that. So they go sow their wild oats like mom and dad did, and they come back, and their face is hard. Spirits fallen. Cynical attitude. Rebellious in nature. What happened? They traded their beauty for ashes because that's what the devil does. You forsake God, the beauty is departed. I couldn't help but think about, and I read this afternoon about Hosea and Gomer, how he got a wife of harlots. God told him to do that. God's given him an illustration of what Israel was doing to God. She runs out on him, leaves him, goes and lives in the far country, sows her wild oats, does what she wants. Finally, God says to Hosea, go buy her back. Good picture of what God does for us. Can't imagine that. Go buy her back. He finds her at a slave auction. To be auctioned off really meant we're just trying to get out of her what we can get because there's not a whole lot left. She's being auctioned off. You know what happened? Her beauty had been departed. Because when you forsake God, it always costs you just a little bit of your beauty, of what made you beautiful. You can't forsake God and still be beautiful. Because the only thing beautiful about us comes from God. Outside of God, just like Jerusalem, outside of God, we're empty and unfulfilled. We have no purpose. Outside of God, listen, we have no future. Outside of God, we have no beauty. That's why David, when David forsook God to go after Bathsheba, I'll come right back. I'm going to come right back. And he goes out and he takes Bathsheba. You know the story. He's out here in the far country and he comes running back. David's different when he comes back. What is he crying out for in Psalms 51? Restore. Restore. Do you know what David's saying? I lost something. I lost something. You can't go into the far country. You can't forsake God not lose something. You're going to lose something. And David comes back and he says, restore unto me the joy. You know what joy is? Joy is beautiful. Joy is beautiful. I had the opportunity to preach Brother Charles's homegoing Sunday. And I was telling a story about it. the last time I got to see him, which was two weeks ago Sunday. And how he just had a smile on his face. Couldn't talk anymore. The disease his body was stricken with had taken his voice from him. But he had a smile. He got, give me a thumbs up. Give me a thumbs up. Do you know what he had? Joy. Do you know what it was? It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Oh, it would have been so easy for him to say, you know what? God, let me get this loathsome disease. 
I'm going to forget God. I'm going to go off in the far country and do what I want. The rest of the time I have left, nope. He just stuck by God. And all the way until the time the Lord took him home, he was beautiful. Because he didn't forsake God. Now, folks, there's a reason God preserved the book of Lamentation for us. He wants us to learn the lessons these people learn without having to go through it to learn them. And he wants us to know this lesson of loss tonight. You have no purpose outside of God. You're empty. None come. Her gates are desolate. You're empty and unfulfilled because you forsook God. And when you forsook God, you forsook your purpose. But you're also forsaking your future. You may be willing to pay to play, but can I ask you, are you okay with your children paying for you to play? It's not worth it. We have no future outside of God and we have no beauty outside of God. It seems so easy tonight for us to forsake God. But he says, just in case you get tempted, I want you to read about Jerusalem. Forsaking God is going to lead to loss. You're not going to be able to get your hand in that rat trap and get the cheese out. You're going to get hit. It's going to get you every time. Tonight, God wants us to see what happened to these dear people for us to realize, you know what? God's not a respecter of persons. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. What does that mean? It means forget God and you're going to lose. You're going to lose every time. Perhaps tonight God has allowed us to have this message, to have an opportunity for repentance. You may be a young person here tonight, maybe a mom, a dad, grandma, and grandpa. And man, you've been getting so tempted to go and do your own thing in that far country. You've got every intention. You're going to come back. You're going to come back. But I promise you, if by God's grace you do get to come back, you'll be less some things. You have lost some of your purpose. You have lost some of your future. And you have lost some of those things that made you beautiful that only came from God. Because without God, we have none of those things. Let's have our heads bowed tonight, eyes closed.